Hello everyone, it's your host Luke West back with another episode of Imperfect where we discuss topics of masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposefully. On this episode we have Godwin Chan. Godwin is a recent grad with over three years of experience in nonprofit organization management, event planning, and bioinformatics research. He is currently the assistant event manager of Discover Your Personal Brand in Toronto, a startup that offers personal branding events, development, training, resources to empower working professionals. He has his own podcast called Digital Introverts. Highly recommend that you check it out. I actually did a recording of that right before we recorded this episode. My episode isn't out yet, but I highly suggest that you go follow him. I'll include the link in the description to that that series and that podcast. He also is writing a book called Digital Introverts, Why Today's Most Successful Individuals Harness Introversion to Thrive. Uh, and that's expected to be published in December of 2020. You can find him on social media and on LinkedIn at Godwin Chan. And on this episode, we talk a lot about what it means to be an introvert. How does shyness affect kind of the typical masculine man? What does that look like? You know, as he's an Asian American as well, how has that shaped his masculinity as we know in Western society, Asian men can kind of be stereotyped as less manly or less desirable so we, we talk a little bit about like about that at the end but overall it's a really good conversation i hope you enjoy it and i think you will but uh let's get into the episode now godwin why don't you introduce yourself a bit before we get into the first question perfect sounds good so i'm godwin i am well a recent grad, I guess, <laughs> from university. I guess 2018 still counts as recent grad, right? Yes. So I think I'm going to say recent grad up to like five years after I graduated. Yeah. But in any case, yeah, for me, I, I'm i working on a few projects right now. So I have, uh, or I'm actually the assistant event manager for a company called Discover Your Personal Brand, or DYPB for short. So we organize, you know, LinkedIn events and and you know, other conferences related to personal branding here in the Toronto area. And I am also writing a book on the topic of digital introverts. And so, you know, it's a story, it's a book about um, just just sharing the stories of, you know, a lot of introverts and how they can thrive in the digital age, you know, including my own story. And third is... I have a podcast, Digital Introverts. <laughs> it's the same topic. Well, it's it's, it's a similar topic. Well, you know, we talk about a lot of similar things, but there will be some differences depending on, you know, what we say off the cuff and <laughs> what, are, what what guests I have on the show. So that's a little, bit, a little bit about me. I was just on this podcast where we just recorded it. It will probably be out after this episode's out. But where will they be able to find that pod, the, your podcast, Digital Introverts? <laughs> uh, good question. So... It will probably be on all major streaming platforms. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Scratch. No, I'm kidding. Not, yeah, not Scratch. Not Stitcher. Yeah. Listen to Google. his episode for uh, with me to understand that joke. <laughs> Stitcher, Google Play. What else is there? iHeart. I don't even know if I'm going to be on iHeart. I don't right even here. know how that one works. Yeah. But tried. anyways, there are there are a lot. But for sure, the main two I'll be on is are Spotify and Apple podcast yeah i know that for sure and when do you go live so this is this is the recording in early march so probably around mid-march okay yeah cool so and now we'll get into the first question so who is one person dead or alive that you would invite over for dinner what would you cook for them and what would you talk about okay that first that first question is a classic twist to the uh you know original question yeah it's interesting this is a good question because because it opens up the realm of possibility to, I guess all you know all of humanity really. Yeah. <laughs> you know, especially the dead with the dead part. I would actually invite a Abe Lincoln over. Yeah. 
Abraham Lincoln. What do I cook for him? I don't even know what meals were like back in the 1860s. You got to introduce <laughs> him to new flavors. Good question. <laughs> what new flavors would he not have experienced? Um, I'll just give him jerk chicken. I guess. Jerk chicken. <laughs> nice. Why not? You know, it's, uh, it's probably a new flavor he hasn't probably haven't had or experienced before. So. Yeah. There you go. And I and I and I um I I know how to prepare it. So I've I've prepared it before. Okay. Which you know, fun fact, I I set up the fire alarm on in my um you know house that was or renting a room out because the um the chicken was too hot <laughs> while, really? while cooking it. Yeah, it was it was not good. But was this in an oven or in a barbecue? It was uh, oven. Okay. A barbecue in in off campus housing. <laughs> oh, you're right. Yeah, that dumb question. That in itself is a bad idea also. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine all whatever people cook up on. That's what I miss the most about being in university is that I didn't have access to a barbecue. I love barbecuing. Barbecuing is great. It's just that I would not trust a random student to do it. No, me neither. <laughs> I don't know what they'll cook up, so. Yeah. And then what would you talk about with Abe Lincoln? Mm, because obviously he had a very colored life mm -hmm. in terms of all the successes and failures, actually, that he had, you know. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't, you know, everyone obviously knows about Abe Lincoln as the president of the U.S. at a very trying time for the country. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have two factions fighting against one another, you know, you're trying to <laughs> reunify the country. But, you know, really talk about, you know, his uh, successes and failures, especially his failures, because I don't think those are highlighted often enough. You know, mm -hmm. he had a lot of different things that happened to him, you know, like, you know, running for uh, office and losing and a bunch of personal tragedies as well. And I would talk about that. But also second, you know, kind of, get his mindset or his thoughts on now is this place in the current day i, I don't know how how he'll be uh <laughs> up to date or up to speed with stuff happening now <laughs> no he won't be up to date at all okay he'll, have to he'll, explain he'll, it to him. okay forget it i will ask him about you know i guess his philosophy on on living and on ethics i think that would be really interesting because you know everyone knows obviously that he passed the emancipation act you mm -hmm. know to free the slaves especially in the south you know what is little known is that wasn't necessarily made or that decision wasn't necessarily made because of the goodness of, of his heart. I think it was more of it made sense economically and made sense just, you know, in general to have, you know, boost their boost mm -hmm. their their, uh, their fighting force, you know, especially for the union. And so I've got, you know, his, his views on, on ethics and also just life philosophy, you know, in general and having to deal with uncertainty Mm -hmm. And also negativity, you know, obviously as the, you know, greatest representative of the union in the North, you have basically half the country hating you, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And, and how, you know, had to kind of deal with that, uh, you know, especially as a politician, I would ask them that. I think those are really good questions. And I, I think the act of like the one about the Emancipation Act and, and not being really a willful choice, like, you know, or, you know, like a, a human rights choice more is, is a really good way to go too. I, and I think Abe Lincoln is someone that a lot of people in politics like look up to. And, and so I think that'd be a really good conversation. And it definitely seems like you know your history well enough to talk about it. Oh, I'm a history junkie, yes. Okay, yeah. I was going to say, like, you know all the names, like the, the, the correct titles for everything. I'm like, I know there's a civil war, and uh, that's about it. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Not, that's... One, one side was for the slaves, one side was against the slaves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I knew, I knew that much. But I wanted to go back to the kind of the, the your digital introverts podcast you know like we've had conversations i was just on it um and we had a lot of a lot of conversations about how that kind of looks in your life but i'm really curious about how you kind of got there and your your motivation behind starting that podcast 
Yeah, let me tell you, it's, it's been a long time coming, you know, in terms of had to live nearly 25 years of my life to be able to feel comfortable enough to share it yeah. in such a public manner. Because if you ask my younger self, I would probably be on mute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, nope, I'm just ignoring, willfully ignoring what, what you're talking about. And I think the turning point for me in order to really open up about this aspect of my personality and myself was really reading the book Quiet by mm. Susan Cain. This was either my first or second year of undergrad, I don't remember, or third year, but I, I read it during undergrad, you know, bought it, and I recently read, read it a second time. It still applies to this day. And, you know, it really transformed my life in the sense that, oh, there's someone who finally gets it. Right? Yeah. Kind of, it felt it was a huge relief, right, in terms of I'm not weird. I'm actually part of a big group of people who, you know, are, are kind of a similar way or, or behave in a, you know, in a similar way or similar manner. And, you know, it got me kind of more accepting of myself, uh, of who I am in terms of, you know, I'll, I'm not going to be that person who will go out to the club every weekend or go to, you know, house parties. Although I did enjoy <laughs> enjoy yeah. the parties that I did attend right back in undergrad. It was just, it wasn't, it wasn't all the time. I, I couldn't do it all the time. Sometimes I just wanted to, you know, stay in and read, in a, and read a nice book or have a nice one-on-one conversation, a one-to-one conversation with someone, you know, instead of going to really high stimulation environments, right? right? And so fast forward to now or a few months or, you know, several months ago, where I got the original idea of writing a book about it, mm-hmm. about uh, kind of my own experience with introversion and, uh, you know, how I overcame shyness and social anxiety and things like that. And, and those topics are unrelated to introversion, by the way, although they're often paired. And, you know, in terms of writing the book, I was going to originally structure it as a memoir mm-hmm. in terms of I'm just going to tell my own life story of how I was you know, deathly afraid of even talking to another human being when I was about, you know, five years old living in Hong Kong. And so although I was born here uh, in mm-hmm. Canada, I'm a Canadian citizen, but did move back, move over to uh, Hong Kong for a few years. And, you know, and my mom would tell, <laughs> tell me this hilarious story of me, you know, and I, I was going to kindergarten or, or uh, preschool and I would always hide behind her legs actually mm-hmm. at the time you know especially when it was like recess time or, or lunch time and all the other kids would go out you know hap- happily to the playground there would be little old me just sitting there by myself or even or even still in the lunchroom just eating mm-hmm. <laughs> because I, I didn't want to or eating by myself it was just like i was just more comfortable with being by myself and you know obviously my parents and teachers worried about me being antisocial yeah <laughs> and, and, and things like that and not being able to, you know, interact with others or protecting myself and, and things like that. Even, even when I was in elementary school here in Canada, it was the same in terms of, you know, I just didn't really like to talk to anyone. And, it, you know, unless I'm like absolutely forced to. Mm-hmm. But even even I remember during recess time, right, when all the other kids would, you know, have, um, you know, fun with, with their friends and things like that, as kids would do. I remember just wandering about playground by myself yeah. a lot of the time. You know, I, w- I would, you know, I wasn't completely a loner, but, you know, I would join in um, some other games sometimes with other people. But for the most part, I was just by myself, just just strolling, just walking around. Um, you, you know, I was very keen on looking at nature yeah. <laughs> at the time. I was just like, oh, here's a grasshopper or here's a, a snail or, you know, whatever other bugs are, were, um, you know, in our gigantic playground. Right, mm-hmm. that you had uh, during elementary school, 
but you know, in any case, a lot of a lot of my early childhood memories I wanted to share in, mm -hmm. in the in the memoir, and so I actually joined a book writing course, and mm. it's by a professor named Eric Coaster in the U.S. and he's part of um, Georgetown University, and so it's it's a virtual program where you know groups of authors kind of go through a program together to go from you know writing a first draft manuscript to editing you know to eventual publishing and and you know through a publisher called new degree press mm -hmm. and you know the help they help with marketing and uh, and promotion things like that and so I, I had an introductory call with eric and when i explained the concept of the memoir he was like you know no one really cares about someone's memoir unless they're michelle obama mm -hmm. <laughs> or any famous person or if you have a incredible story like if you were shot in the head by the Taliban, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, Milano's story is incredible and, you know, deserves to have its own memoir. But for me, it's just, comparatively, it's just my life has not been that <laughs> remarkable, yeah. right? It, 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 in that sense, right? And so what he suggested for me to do instead was to write or was to write a nonfiction, right, book on, you know, introversion. And then, obviously, we uh, pivoted towards you know, the idea of digital introversion or digital introverts. And that's a term I'm actually trying to coin or invent, essentially, mm. right? And Trademark? Maybe. Uh, we, we shall see. And and I like that suggestion because it allowed me to make an impact by giving other introverts a voice, right, mm -hmm. in terms of them sharing their own narratives or their own stories, right, albeit through uh, written form, just giving them a platform. And then, you know, in terms of uh, promoting the book, then the impact can be exponentially greater mm -hmm. just because I can have everyone who's in the book promote it themselves also mm -hmm. so they can you know magnify the impact of just in terms of uh, just collective networks right yeah and so that was how the book you know came to be and then you know I'm hoping to publish later this year and for the podcast I was actually uh, I thought about it because I was interviewing a lot of introverts for the book and I thought that Oh, it's such a shame that these aren't recorded, mm -hmm. or that these aren't repurposed as as podcast episodes. You know, I got really big on listening to podcasts last year. Uh, mm -hmm. Was when I was you know, really was like, oh, this is, you know, this is content I can passively consume when I'm doing other things like driving or, mm -hmm. you know, on <laughs> on the TCC on it with with massive delays or with you know while I'm doing my chores things like that. And it's like, oh, I can, you know, passively just learn something, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to listen to the same Drake song like 10 times, right? So, oh, yeah, I know that experience, yeah. <laughs> uh, but in any case, um, I was like, okay, let's just let's just um, record some podcast episodes. And, and so I re-invited a lot of the people I've interviewed for the book. And I uh, started obviously reaching out on a little bit on social media, not a lot, not yet, on, you know, getting podcast guests. And obviously you're one of them yeah. <laughs> for my own podcast and then vice versa, right? Uh, shout out to Mark Metry, right, on LinkedIn. Yeah. And so yeah, by even just doing a very minimal amount of, you know, reaching out, I've already uh, recorded, you know, as of this recording, right, about 17 to 18 episodes already, mm -hmm. right, even before I launched. And, you know, imagine how many other requests for guests that I will receive once I actually fully promote the podcast, mm -hmm. once it's out. I would, you know, kind of imagine that, the scale would start to exponentially increase. Mm -hmm. And that is when vetting will become important. <laughs> because yes. you can you cannot humanly possibly take every single person who asks to be on your podcast, right? Correct. And to be you know introverted. Yes, there actually there are there are a lot of introverts out there, right? There's 
there there's that as well and so i think well i will have to start doing and even now like you know as of the time of recording the podcast hasn't been released yet but i think i will have to do twice a week just because yeah i anticipate that there will be a lot more content coming right in terms of uh, pre-recorded episodes and it's just you know the backlog is already getting kind of insane yeah. right now if i did it I did it once then you get to like episode number 15 in june and at the beginning it'll be like happy new year like yeah that you know makes no sense yeah right it's not congruent and so yeah that's a little bit about kind of my journey of self-discovery in terms of the whole introvert aspect and just personality in general what who i am Mm -hmm. being more self-aware right and and really being very cognizant of how i can level up and Mm -hmm. improve myself right while staying true to my introverted nature and so one thing that i'm fascinated uh, with you about is you know a lot of times when it comes to the image of of what a man is it's often a loud braggadocious almost extroverted person like it's very hard to be a shy i know you said they're not correlated but like a, a quiet introverted kind of boyfriend like that's not really the ideal guy because they see a lack of confidence they see that shyness and so in your life kind of what has been your experience with being a a shy guy when it comes to your identity because even for me you know there's moments where I don't have a lot of confidence and obviously confidence is a skill you have to learn it's one you have to develop but it's almost kind of like coming out of your shell a bit as an extrovert too so in terms of, of who you are or like that timidness, that kind of introvertedness, where have you seen like your identity fit as a, as a young man? That is a fantastic question. And it's, it's something that is often not talked about a lot, especially mm-hmm. there, you know, especially for males, there's the bias of, you know, boys don't or boys or men don't talk about feelings, mm-hmm. um, things like that. Right. And so for me, confidence is something definitely I had to learn, just like you said, you know, and it's only really through experience of trials and tribulations of, you know, falling back down by getting back up again, uh, was I able to really gain that kind of, you know, self-confidence and, and increase self-esteem really, because, it, it, you know, especially when I was younger, I had a lot of self-esteem issues, mm-hmm. right, in terms of, right, I would always be the pessimist in the room. It was like, you know, I am a terrible person or... I have nothing valuable to contribute to the society. Like these are the kinds of, you mm-hmm. know, toxic thoughts that I, or that I had when I was younger that I was not worthy enough to be listened to or mm-hmm. to be, you know, considered as anything significant. And uh, obviously I've had professional psychological help actually, right, to resolve those kinds of issues, mm-hmm. right? Along with, you know, extreme introversion, shyness and social uh, social anxiety and all those kinds of things, right? You know, for me it was it was really just by the encouragement of family, friends, you know, also my clinical psychologist to really, really open up, like you said, you know, get, you know, get out of our shell a little bit, you know, and, and talk about these things is how I, you know, gradually improved on it. And, you know, even when I was younger, the common refrain was, you know, if you don't say anything, I can't help you, mm-hmm. right? You know, we cannot read minds yet, right? So it's, and that statement, you know, it's very well intentioned. It's it, it, you know it also it holds true. But for me, when I was younger, it was the absolute worst thing that I could ever hear. Just because mm-hmm. I never liked sharing anything. <laughs> yeah. When I was younger, you know, especially you know feelings, emotions, you know, things like that. And you know, I kept everything inside. And then 
you know, when the lid pops off the um, the boiler pot <laughs> was when I would yeah. have fits of anger and frustration, right? And so that was something that I had to resolve as well, right? In, in terms of just being very uh, insecure about myself and, and mm -hmm. my place in the world. The only bright spot really was academics. Mm -hmm. I was just really good at school. The uh, how, how school is done nowadays Right, still with the uh, industrial era mindset, right, of uh, memorization-based learning. Mm -hmm. That was something I was good at. Yeah, and I always took pride in you know getting high grade, getting you know straight A's, and, and that was something I took a lot of pride in. Right, mm -hmm. and I warped my entire self-worth based on academics. Yeah, and that was that's not good. <laughs> yeah, you know, especially when I remember when I was in first year of university, right, and I went into the life sciences program at McMaster and you know obviously I had a huge ego in terms of <laughs> look at me I'm so good at uh getting good grades in school mm -hmm. and then <laughs> and then I remember the <laughs> the first physics midterm I got back I got a 65 yeah right and I was like I couldn't handle it yeah. I just I just completely broke down I was like because because I tied my worth so much to how well I did in school couldn't handle it you know if I got anything that was below an A, mm -hmm. right? And this was not even, this goes even beyond just, you know, stereotypical Asian parents kind of, you know, you, you know all the memes about it, mm -hmm. right? But my parents were never, you know, the tiger parents, you know, they were like, you know, just try your best, whatever, right? Yeah. We'll support you. You know, for me, I put high expectations on myself, you know, on that, on the grade aspect that I just couldn't handle it. And that I had to unlearn that, you know, that coupling of, mm -hmm. of self-worth to academics. Right, throughout my univers university years and it was a lot better in uh in, you know in fourth year my final year and so did you have to learn that uncoupling throughout your kind of introvert things as well like were you tying your introvert ideas into kind of other negative aspects of your life it wasn't just like grades and, and your self-worth it was oh i don't talk therefore i don't have self-worth because you kind of alluded to how you have to be able to open up so I can help, but also people have to create safe spaces for you to open up as well, right? That's fair as well. Yes, and you're absolutely right, right? I tied a lot of, you know, my introversion to, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be quiet. Uh, I'm quiet all the time. I, you know, I'm not going to have any friends, mm -hmm. right? That kind of thing. You know, I'm just going to sit in the cafeteria or the lunchroom by myself, which I did actually a lot yeah. of the time, which it wasn't a huge problem. It was just, you know, obviously I, I like to spend time by myself, but other people may think it's weird, mm -hmm. right? You know, and, and even now, you know, people still find it weird that you can go out to eat at a restaurant by yourself. Yeah, I know, right? I do that sometimes. Right? And it's like, you know, for me as an introvert, actually, I really like doing that sometimes. Yeah. And just because, you know, eating out at a restaurant, there is that societal expectation that you have to do it with someone else. Mm -hmm. right and that's not necessarily the case and even like you know with the advent of um, a lot of different kind of innovative uh dining opportunities right there you know even like for example ramen shops where they you're meant to just eat by yourself uh, there are booths like that uh, and other things that's not weird but you know western society that still seems a bit weird or a bit off-putting that you know you would purposely you know come spend money by yourself to eat yeah. right in any case right and even you know in terms of tying introversion to self-worth right you know no friends even thought you know for the longest time that i wasn't even going to be able to get into a romantic relationship mm. i was like you know i'm going to be too quiet for you know any significant significant other to you know relate to me or to 
you really give me a chance kind yeah. of thing, right? And so the uh, the romantic relationship aspect is something that I'm still working on also, yeah. right? And big confession is that I've been single my entire life, right? Yeah. And for me, it's not that I don't have an interest in dating. It's rather I would rather work on myself first mm. and to be, you know, at a place where I am comfortable or I feel quote unquote ready. Um, but for kind of other aspects of, you know, not making friends, I mean, I make friends all the time now. Um, so that for me has not been an issue now, but, you know, especially when I was younger, it was mm -hmm. a lot harder. I really got out of my shell in university though, when I moved away from home, mm. right? And that was really liberating in the fact that, you know, I live amongst a bunch of my peers and not kind of semi-isolated in a house, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, in my home, right, with my family, because it's a lot harder to just spontaneously go out for, yeah. <laughs> to have a fun time when you're living at your parents' place. Yeah. And so I took full advantage of that in um, in undergrad, you know, because first year I was living on, on res. For the next three years, I was in off-campus housing. Mm -hmm. For me, that was, I mean, a lot of people will probably agree that that was the best time of my life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, you know, in terms of, in, you know, in terms of developing my own, my social side, right? In terms of, you know, combating my, my, my shyness, social anxiety, things like that, right? Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, because you see the same people in class, you see, you know, same, <laughs> or, you know, same people in, 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 you know, in res, you go to the same events, you, you know, go out to party with the same people kind of thing. And then you develop those close social bonds. And mm -hmm. because you're in close proximity with all of them, basically all the time, it became a lot easier, right? To do, to do that and to make friends and, and things like that. You know, as, as you and I both know, once you're out of school, it's a lot harder to make friends. Yeah. <laughs> as an ad adult, friendships are hard. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, eventually people have their own busy schedules, lives, and they live in different places. But more than that, especially when people start getting settled down, they, they you know, they marry, they have kids, things like that. Mm -hmm. Then it becomes virtually impossible. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like, you know, I have, I have work, I have family, my friendships are going to suffer. Yeah. Right? So... Um, you know, for all the listeners who are still in undergrad or going into undergrad, take full advantage of that. <laughs> yes. But also don't consider those years forever the best years of your life. Cause that is also true. Life, life should, life will and should get better too. But I wanted to go on to one point that you said there. So I've also been single my entire, entire life. And one thing that I'm going through right now is I'm like actively trying to find a girlfriend. Like I've... I prefer doing it the old-fashioned way where I meet a girl and I actually ask her out in public. And I don't like um, online dating as much, but I, I do it to force me out of my comfort zone. I totally agree with you that I really want to work myself first. And But one thing I've, I've come to realize recently is this, I don't want this to come across as like codependency because it's, it's really not. But one thing I really want to figure out is who I am in a relationship because that's one part of me one side of me, I don't know. And so I agree that self-development is very like internal and you can't really do it with being dependent on someone. But I don't really feel like I'd be dependent on someone in a relationship. I'd still do my podcasting. I'd still like be like, listen, I got things I got to do. There's things I want to achieve in my life. You're either with that or you're not the right person for me kind of thing. And so, but I really want to know who that side of me is in a relationship. Because like, am I romantic? Am I not romantic? There's so much 
sacrifice that you see, even from just my friends, there's so much sacrifice they give to those people. And I don't have that right now, but I want to be like, am I willing to do that sacrifice for someone? Am I willing to experience that? And so that's why I'm kind of trying to put myself into a position of maybe trying to find a significant other for the for the idea of still self-improvement and self-growth. I would say that there's still a possibility for both. But I also wanted to touch on the fact that, you know, you find it, you, there was a time when you never thought you'd date. And I know that, you know, I have I grew up in Markham. I have a lot of Asian friends. And there's this Western idea that, you know, a lot of white girls don't like or don't really find Asian guys attractive. And so, like, what is your, been your experience with that? I know we touched on it on our phone call before about how that's always been super challenging. And I've always hated it, too, in terms of, you know, this whole discrimination of a race or of a gender of a race. And then on the other hand, women are like propped up, uh, like Asian women are, are like fetishized. So I, I like, you don't have to go into it if you don't want to, but I'm, I'm like curious to hear your, your take on it. Yes. This is, uh, is a very multi-layered thing, question qu- yeah. or question because it, there's a lot of aspects of culture involved. Right. Mm. And so, you know, even before I touched upon the dating aspect, right. Of course, being, a male introvert is already hard in and of itself, but being an Asian male introvert, where you're stereotyped to be this way, yeah, is even harder. Just because what is the common perception of an Asian male usually is right. Mm-hmm. Even you know before obviously the recent explosion of Asian representation representation in Western media, what was it? It was either you're a kung fu master <laughs> or yeah. a martial arts master, or you're a nerd. Yeah, right. Asian males are usually kind of you know boxed you know in, in, in the stereotype you know especially with the with the nerd stereotype is like that we're just hard-working people who will never become leaders who is just good at getting stuff done mm-hmm. and who will not talk back basically it's the shut up and dribble analogy yeah right in full force and obviously not asian males are like that right and but for asian cultures there is a bias towards introversion actually mm-hmm. uh, that being you, you know Quiet is seen as a source of strength and rather and not as a uh, you know as a weakness, and so that comes into play. And in terms of the you know the relationship aspect, that is it's interesting, but it's also tough just because like like you mentioned, it's the um, it's the idea of Asian male white female versus white male Asian female, mm-hmm. right? And so obviously the latter is a lot more common pairing, mm-hmm. right? And it's a damaging stereotype for both, you know, Asian males and females because females are highly sought after, not maybe not necessarily because of who they are as a person, mm-hmm. but rather them as just a blanket identity as, you know, as ethnicity or race. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with that sort of pairing, right? But gotta be there's got to be kind of the right intention mm-hmm. uh, of doing it because, I you know, I want to date you because of you, mm-hmm. not because... You know, you're Chinese or <laughs> yeah. you're Asian, right? In in general, on the flip side, right? Asian masculinity is uh, is a highly convoluted topic, just because the the stereotype is that Asian guys can't be romantic mm-hmm. or they cannot, they don't have, they're not the alpha male mm-hmm. or, or that sort of thing, right? In a, in a relationship, or they're not, they can't be the dominating force, quote unquote, right? In, in a relationship, and it is tough for a lot of a lot of Asian males, right, to put themselves out there, right, in the in the dating game. And it comes down to, you know, in terms of change of perceptions, I mean, there, uh, again, media has a lot to do with it, do with it as well, right? You see, you know, Henry Golding in 
Crazy Rich Asians. You see hmm. Simu Liu now in in the upcoming Marvel movie, right? And so if you look at Asian media, right, in particular, of course there are you know that stereotypically masculine, mm-hmm. right, kind of Asian representation, but not so much in Western media. And for kind of bicultural individuals, like you know, such as myself, like who was who is traveling between two cultures, who you know has grown up with a Western mindset but has ethnicity of of Asian descent. That is, it's tough. Oh, that's all. That's all I can say. It's just. Yeah. It's about changing mindsets, and it will. I I believe it will change gradually, especially with kind of an increased understanding of cultural norms and breaking down stereotypes. But definitely, coronavirus does not help. <laughs> no, I, I wanted to bring that up too because, man, like, I've noticed going to Asian restaurants. Doesn't matter what they are. Like, there's just so many less people. There's like Asian supermarkets in Markham. There's less people. And there I haven't seen any like direct acts of racism in, in Toronto or anything, but I've seen videos on like Twitter and YouTube. Like yep. have you experienced anything or now? No, 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 not I've been fortunate enough to not have been the I don't want to say beneficiary, but yeah, you know, the rece- on the re- <laughs> receiving end of that. But you know, obviously, you see the um, the social media posts and things like that, and of course, you know, obviously they're upsetting. But you know, definitely with the recent outbreak, it's just it has provided an excuse for mm-hmm. people, another excuse, right, for 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 people to be more free and open to share these thoughts mm-hmm. or feelings about Asians in general. Really, you know, in terms of comments on kind of the food we eat or our hygienic practices <laughs> or, or, yeah. or things like that and uh, especially now at the time of recording when the when COVID-19 is really not even just a Chinese problem it's a it's a global problem because you yeah. see you know the um, you know the spike in cases in like you know in Italy and mm-hmm. in Iran yeah now it's just it's a global problem you can't yeah. even single out like you know Asian businesses or Asia yeah. I, I've never understood the racism because it's like they're assuming that only Asian people can get the virus when it can go to every, it's not like a racist virus where it only attacks Asian people <laughs> that's the thing that viruses are indiscriminate that's yeah <laughs> that's, what, that's what makes them so great you know like but awful well, like, we, yeah. well yeah, yeah obviously great at trans, you know, yeah. living but I think it's a lot better now that people know it's a global problem mm-hmm. and so they won't not necessarily single out you know Asian businesses and you know things like that but obviously you've seen kind of the decrease in, in patronage and you know in terms yeah. of those and I think that now is you know the best time really to support our local asian businesses really Mm -hmm. to really say you know make that statement that hey you know that we cannot blame a you know a pandemic or an outbreak on you know a certain race or 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 things like that it just it just comes it just happens right and and even with you know other outbreaks like like ebola and and things like that obviously the the same you know, similar kind of experiences and se- and sentiments have been hurled at our, um, you know, our, our African brothers and, and sisters, mm-hmm. right? And so, and that's the that's a that's a challenge with social media, and you know, in terms mm-hmm. of it. Yes, it's a great outlet for freedom of speech, but at the same time, that you know becomes kind of, you know, especially in some areas, it becomes uh, propaganda. Not even propaganda; it becomes a way for people to express views that 
are widely supported. Let's just mm-hmm. put it that way. Yeah. Right. So. Agreed. I know we uh, we're, we're cutting down on some time here, but the third last or the you know, three last questions I always ask are the first one being, uh, what is one thing that you learned from your father or a male mentor that you use every day in your life for advice? Um, good question. So for me, you know, I've had a few father figures, uh, you know, in my life. Definitely one of them was for me to open up and, and to share as much as possible um, and to not keep everything inside. And that for me was a game changer. Yeah. Right. And, you know, in terms of my own mental health, but also just, it just feels good. Yeah. Right? To, to speak my mind sometimes. Yeah. And the second last question is what is one piece of advice you wish you received from your father or a male mentor? For me, it definitely being you know it's okay to be quiet or to be to be not as talkative and to be not you know a macho man or whatever that means you know there are all, all different types of males out there and it does you know everyone does not have to box into the hyper extroverted you know hyper gregarious you know go getter yeah. right in life and then the last question is what is one thing that you want to pass down to future generations what one piece of advice would you pass down really it sounds so simple but i think that you know, everyone just needs it. It's just be yourself. Be your real, authentic self. I know we talked a lot about this before. It be your real, authentic self online, offline, VR, whatever, yeah. wherever, wherever you are, right? Just trust me, it just, it feels good, but also it takes, you know, a lot less effort than trying to fake your personality sometimes. Even if you fake being an extrovert, let me tell you, it, it gets tiring after a while. Yeah. No, that's great, man. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been your host, Luke West, with his guest, Godwin Chan. You can find him on Instagram at G underscore protein and on Spotify and Apple at Digital Introverts and then also on LinkedIn at Godwin Chan. He's got a very bright face, very bright, <laughs> very bright headshot, very noticeable bow tie. You won't be able to miss it. You won't, you won't miss it. No, you won't miss it at all. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes or message me on Instagram at the imperfect pod or connect with me on LinkedIn. If you do leave a review, I will create a graphic and share it on the Instagram and on LinkedIn. So that's extra motivation to actually review. I'd love to hear what you have to say and what you learned and let's build a world of intentional and purposeful conversations. Talk to you all soon.